Today we're continuing in the series I started last week. It's a series on money called This Is a Test. And today we're going to consider some of the important things that the Bible says about earning and keeping money. Both things are important. The Bible has quite a bit to say about it. How we go about earning money is important to God. And so the Bible has guidance on that. How we go about keeping money is also something that's important to God. And so the Bible gives us guidance on that as well. In order for us to be able to use the money uh, that we earn in God-pleasing ways, which is what we're going to talk about next week, we've got to be able to keep some of what we earn. How we earn money and how we keep money is part of the test that money is in our lives. It's a test, as we noted last week, that reveals an awful lot about us. It reveals our trustworthiness. It reveals our values. It reveals our priorities, our affections, our allegiances. A relationship with money can even be revealing about our love for God or the lack of love for God. It reveals whether God is really our Lord, whether God is really our master. And when it comes to earning and keeping money, we have a lot of sources of bad advice and we have a lot of sources of bad examples. And they're everywhere. And many of them are actively trying to get you to make bad decisions about money. You do not want to take the advice of the retailers and the credit card companies, or you will not keep any of the money that you earn. You do not want to take the advice of the student loan industry, or you will not keep any of the money that you earn. They will convince you that $100,000 indebtedness for a degree in puppetry is a good move. By the way, that is an actual degree offered at the University of Connecticut. And that's a bad move. You don't want to follow the example of the federal government, which is an example of piling up immoral, that is the right word, immoral amounts of debt because of an unwillingness to be restrained. Since you and I can't print money, following the example of the federal government would be a real problem for us. And since you and I cannot inform all the citizens of the country how much they should send to us each week against their will, following the example of the federal government would be a really bad thing for us. And if we follow the example of the federal government, which far too many of us do, then we'll buy all kind of things we don't need. We'll buy bridges to nowhere. We'll buy pathetic and profane artwork. And just for laughs, or perhaps more to promote crying, consider these expenditures of our federal government. Over the past 15 years, around five point well, let me say it a, a, a less awkward way. Five and a quarter million dollars have been spent on hair care services for the Senate. 
Each senator makes around, I think, exactly $174,000 a year, which you would think would be enough to pay for your own haircut, but evidently not. And you and I uh, helped contribute to five and a quarter million dollars for haircuts. $137,000 was paid to a Dartmouth College professor by the federal government to develop a recession-themed video game called Layoff. $615,000 was paid to digitize photos, t-shirts, and concert tickets belonging to the Grateful Dead. I thought you'd find these funny. You're just mortified, aren't you? (laughs) No, not good laugh lines. All right. (laughs) $1.2 million was paid to a team of scientists, of which part of the money went to researching whether it was beneficial for senior citizens to play World of Warcraft. This is a good one. 680000 was spent on a study that was intended to confirm that men look stronger and manlier when carrying a gun. <laughs> 25000 went to a promotional tour for the Alabama Watermelon Queen. And 10000 was spent by the federal government toward the purchase of talking urinal cakes in Michigan. You you guys are a tough crowd today. I mean, people should be falling out on the floor rolling at this material here. All right. Following the example of the federal government will make you broker than broke, and it will confirm that you are dumber than dumb. And a country where these things are happening isn't going to survive long. So hopefully we as citizens wake up and quit permitting this nonsense. But I have to tell you, I'm not all that optimistic. Because too many people now have their hand in the government cookie jar. So, I feel better whether you do or not. Venting just kind of helps the soul. So, there are good sources of advice when it comes to earning and keeping money. One of the best books that I've ever read is The Millionaire Next Door. If you've never read that book, I would highly recommend it. It's just a solid book about people who handle money well. And of course, Dave Ramsey has been a real gift to the church and to the entire country when it comes to money matters. Ramsey's advice is grounded in Scripture, which is where the best guidance on anything, including money, can be found. So with all of my venting out of the way, let's turn our attention to some of the important things the Bible has to say about earning and keeping money. And I do need to tell you before we go forward that as I was preparing your outline, my brain evidently was not functioning well, so several of your scripture references are wrong. I'm going to tell you right now which ones they are. In section 1B, Proverbs 11.4 is really 11.1. In section 3A, Proverbs 10.15 is really Proverbs 11.24. I was close, but not quite. (laughs) And in 3D, Proverbs 21.22 is really 21.5. So if you make those changes, uh, it'll all make more sense. All right. So let's first consider biblical guidance regarding earning money. Important things to remember about the test that money is. 
I think a great place, an appropriate place for us to start in receiving the Bible's guidance on earning money is right here. The Bible wholeheartedly endorses working hard. Working hard. The Bible's not against that. Hard work is pleasing to God. Almost all the scripture references today are from Proverbs, and the first one is Proverbs 10.4. Here's what it says. Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. Proverbs 24, 33 and 34 say, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. Proverbs 14, 23, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. And Proverbs 20, 13, do not love sleep or you will grow poor. Stay awake and you will have food to spare. Lazy hands make a man poor. A few years ago, there was a rather significant campaign that was initiated by a national ministry and a number of mega churches joined in the campaign and it was titled, Love God, question mark, End Poverty. Now, I hear what I actually say today, okay? I'm all for doing whatever can be done to alleviate poverty. But friends, you cannot end poverty because you cannot solve the problem of lazy people. Hear what I say. Not all poverty is a result of laziness. Please hear that. That's not what I'm saying. But some poverty, a good deal of poverty, is absolutely the result of laziness. People who are not willing to work hard to earn money and provide for themselves are failing the test that money is before God. People who care more about sleep and slumber and folding their hands and playing video games and watching the latest Kardashian episode than they do working hard and and earning a living are failing the test that money is. And, you know, it's politically incorrect to say this today. It it makes people uncomfortable to say it. I'm pretty certain a number of you are uncomfortable right now that I'm saying this, but some people are poor because they are lazy. And I think this is why Jesus acknowledged that there would always be poor people among us. Jesus did acknowledge that. He, he said as much. Well, he didn't say as much. He said that exact same thing. If you want to please God when it comes to earning money, be a person who is willing to work hard to earn it, who is willing to work hard to provide for yourself and your family. This is pleasing to God. It seems to me there is a fast-spreading disease in the United States, and it's the disease of laziness. People think that they are owed something for nothing. For nothing. 
an entry-level worker at a fast food restaurant who can't even muster up the effort to give you a warm hello when you approach the counter wants to make enough money to support a family. What that entry-level job was intended to do was give that person an opportunity to prove themselves and then move up into something better. And as you move up into a place of more responsibility, you earn more money, and eventually you get to the place where you can support a family. Or at least if you and your spouse and your three teenage children work, you can support a family. I'm not saying it's easy. But you get there through hard work. You get there through perseverance. You get there through doing your job well. None of us are entitled to anything. People today think they're entitled to good money for simply existing. It's just not true. None of us are entitled. Money is earned through hard work, through skillful work, by doing a good job. And the Bible supports this. This isn't against the Bible at all. The Bible supports earning a living through hard work if someone has an able body and an able mind. When that is not the case, then it is legitimately true that families, churches, and even governments ought to step up and help to provide a safety net. In fact, the Bible feels so strongly about uh, this idea that people should provide for themselves through hard work the Apostle Paul wrote something that a lot of people just don't even like that it's in the Bible. But he wrote in 2 Corinthians 3, 10 through 12. Now, the whole section here, uh, verses 6 through 15 in your NIV Bible, is probably got a heading over it, something like warning against idleness. But here's what verses 10 through 12 say. We gave you this rule, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. Now, again, some people roll their eyes when they hear this verse and they act as if somehow it snuck its way into Scripture illegitimately, but it did not. The Apostle Paul was an example to the Thessalonians of working hard and supporting himself. He had a right to derive his support from the church, and he chose not to do that. He went out and he continued to make his own living. Now, these busybodies that are referenced here were likely people who were so convinced that the Lord was about to return that they had abandoned the responsibility to provide for their needs. And here's what I find so fascinating about this. Paul does not encourage the church to overlook them and take care of them in their error. He instead tells the church that if the person will not work, the person should not eat. And this is significant because of all the obligations that Christians have to care for the material needs of people, there is no greater obligation than that which is toward one another within the body of Christ. And yet, even with a fellow believer, where the greatest obligation to care rests, 
Paul says that if a person will not work, then they should not eat. They should be left to reap the consequences of their laziness and allowed to experience hunger. Wow. I think the Bible's fairly serious about this. Laziness isn't cool with God. Now, I, I know I'm largely preaching to the choir here today. I, I don't think any of us would go on record as being pro-laziness. Uh, if so, um, wow, you just really need help. But uh, I don't think any of us would do that. But I'll tell you, I think many of us find ourselves vulnerable to laziness at times, vulnerable to feeling entitled to certain things. That's, you know... Uh, something I've struggled with. I've told you all my, my uh, battle against covetousness when it comes to all the nice fences that my neighbors have had over the years that I, that I haven't had. Uh, by the way, I am now building a fence, so that, that temptation will soon be gone. Um, I understand this. I, I understand the, the temptation toward feeling entitled to things, the temptation toward laziness. But we're not entitled. Money is a test. And working hard is the Bible-approved way of earning money. So the Bible says we're to work hard to earn money. And then we come to one of the key ways that money tests us. The Bible is very concerned that we acquire money honestly. Honestly. It's so important that it's one of the big ten commandments. One of the big ten. Number eight, thou shalt not steal. Yep. Covet would, could work as well, but thou shalt not steal. And many of us are saying, no worries on that one, Brian. I, I don't steal. Well, let's just confirm that for a second, okay? Let, let's see if we don't steal. Have you ever overcharged a client? I'm good there, Brian. Okay, how about this next one? Have you ever, let's find a polite way to say this, adjusted your income tax return just a little more than it could legitimately be adjusted? Have you ever taken advantage of someone who trusted your expertise to sell them a product or service they didn't really need? Have you ever lied on a time card? Have you ever uh, fudged on an expense report? Have you ever misrepresented your credentials in order to win a client? Have you ever hit a defect to sell a house? Have you ever hit a defect to sell a car? Let's see a show of hands. Who's done that? No, 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 no. no just, just, just joking. There was a time in my life I thought that was just smart business. Hey, there's a defect. Let's cover that up. Money is a test of your honesty. And God is very concerned with, with you being honest. He's very concerned with me being honest. He is very concerned that we acquire money honestly. 
Proverbs 11.1 1 says, the Lord abhors, it's a strong word, he abhors dishonest scales, but accurate weights are his delight. Proverbs 20.10, differing weights and differing measures, the Lord detests them both. Another strong word. Proverbs 20, 23, the Lord detests differing weights and dishonest scales do not please him. Repeated over and over and over. This is a reference to merchants who had two sets of scales. They would have one set of scales for when they were purchasing products. And these scales were rigged to make it look as if they were... um, my mind's not working right. They, <laughs> they were lighter than they should have been. And then when they were selling to the customer, they had it rigged so it looked like the customer was getting more than the customer was actually getting. These verses apply to any means of acquiring money dishonestly. The butcher who rests his finger on the scale as he puts your, uh, you know, deli turkey on the scale. He is guilty of what this verse is talking about. Adam Clark was a Methodist theologian. At one time in his life, he worked for a silk merchant who suggested that when he was measuring out the silk for the customers, he should stretch it as far as he could possibly stretch it to keep them, uh, to, to make sure they got as little as they could possibly get. And Clark reportedly replied to the To the merchant, your silk may stretch, sir, but my conscience won't. This is one of the most important lessons that the Bible has for us about money. God wants us to acquire it honestly. You know, this is all pretty easy when times are good and money is plentiful. At least it's pretty, pretty easy for a lot of us. But what about when times are tough? What about when money is scarce? The the temptation to acquire money by any means necessary is very real. And this test of money reveals an awful lot about us. It reveals our character. And it reveals the level of our trust in God. God tells us to work hard. He tells us to acquire money honestly. But if that formula doesn't seem to be working out for us, will we continue to trust God to provide for us or will we take matters into our own hands? Will we adopt an attitude that says, I have to do whatever I have to, even if it means I have to cheat? I know many of you here today have, at different times in your life, maybe even currently, you've had to learn to trust God for what the Bible refers to as daily bread, the, the next meal, the, the enough money for the next payment. And many of you have seen God come through time and time again. Maybe not at the exact time you would have picked for him to come through, but it always seems that it's just in the nick of time, and then he provides your daily bread. And this is What God calls us to do, to work hard, to acquire money honestly, and then to trust God to provide for us. This is the Bible's counsel on earning money. So how are you doing with this test? 
How is this working for you? Are you working hard? Are you working well? Are you giving an honest day's work for an honest day's pay? Are you acquiring your money honestly in all the ways that a person can acquire money? Now, let's consider some biblical guidance for keeping money. You know, in the United States, many of us are doing okay on the earning side of things. But when it comes to managing money, when it comes to keeping some of it, we are very much like the government, which actually is probably why we have the government that we have. Because so many of us, that's how we live, so we don't have any problem with our government living that way. We have not figured out the managing part. We're running deficits rather than surpluses. So what does the Bible say about it? Well, in my continued butchering of the outline, the next section is out of order. So (laughs) you'll figure it out though. Proverbs 22.7 says this, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. If you've been familiar with Dave Ramsey, Financial Peace University, you know that this is one of his favorite verses in the Bible. I think he probably likes John 3.16 better, but but this is the one that he quotes an awful lot. Um, The ritual over the poor and the borrower's servant to the lender. This is a warning against two things, which are just completely linked together, living beyond your means... It's a warning against that, and it's a warning against going into debt. You want to manage your money well. You want to keep some of the money you earn through hard work. This is good, solid, biblical advice, which you may have also received from a parent or a grandparent. Live within your means and avoid debt. Why do we take on debt? It is because there is something we want that we can't actually afford. You say, but I can afford the payments on the loan, so I can afford it. But really, folks, if you can't pay for it, you can't truly afford it. Now, Most of us finance the purchase of a home because by the time we could afford to pay cash for that home, we wouldn't need a home. And and many of us finance car loans. Ideally, we wouldn't finance anything. But most Christian financial advisors that I'm aware of will endorse the responsible use of debt when it comes to purchasing a home. I mean, after all, a home is usually, the last seven years accepted, usually an appreciating asset. And current interest rates make it pretty inexpensive to borrow money for a home. And most Christian financial advisors that I'm aware of reluctantly accept that financing car loans um, is something that is acceptable even though they want to encourage people not to do that. So, We're going to concede those two for today and turn our attention to consumer debt, credit cards, six-month same-as-cash loans at Best Buy or H.H. Gregg. These are the kind... Boy, the air just went out of the room. I can't hardly breathe. All right. 
These are the kinds of debt we take on for things we really could live without, but can't discipline ourselves enough to live without. And I am speaking to myself uh, right along with anybody else who needs to hear this. I'm not saying this because I'm not familiar with the problem. I'm saying it as someone who has lived this out, but realizes how misguided it is. Friends, if you have to take out a loan for a TV, an iPad, a video game system, the new mattress, the new furniture, on and on and on the list could go, you can't afford it. You're living beyond your means. You're taking on debt for something that is not key to yours, not essential to your survival. And it's going to be difficult to keep any of your hard-earned money if this pattern keeps repeating itself. The Bible says that if you want to keep some of the money you earn, you must be willing to live within your means. If you don't have the money for it, you don't buy it. This is pleasing to God. It is. And again, I say this as a fellow traveler needing to hear this message. When we refuse to live within our means, it reveals something about us, including that we are often turning to materialism for what we think our heart needs when we should be turning to God. We're unhappy. And instead of finding our happiness in God, we convince ourselves that more stuff will make us happy. But you cannot buy enough stuff to make you happy. And the garage sale you have every spring proves it. It's junk. One time it was a, it was a treasure that you had to have. And now it's junk. You say, Brian, this is good advice, but I've already messed up. I'm, I'm in a huge mess. I'm already in debt up to my eyeballs. And I know, just because I, not because I know anything specific about you. I just know in a group this size, there are a lot of people in debt up to their eyeballs. Then here's what you have to do. You have to determine right now that you are going to do whatever it takes to start living within your means and avoiding debt from this point forward. Can't change what you've done in the past, but you have control over what you do from this point forward. That paid off car that is junky looking and that costs you $100 per month in repairs. You may be tempted to get rid of that. But you know, financially, that car is a lot better deal for you than the $350 to the $450 lease or loan payment you're going to make if you replace it with a shiny new one. If your house is too expensive for you, then you have to make a decision to get into a smaller house. 
you have to determine that living in a less expensive, smaller home is better than being broke. And then you have to do whatever you have to do to make that work out, honestly. You guys are scaring me today. (laughs) If you're a student about to go off to college and the prestigious liberal arts college that you want to go to is going to leave you in debt that is about the equivalent of buying a home, I would encourage you and I would encourage you, parent, to stop that madness. There is a perfectly fine school right up the road It's called OSU Newark. Your diploma will still be from the Ohio State University. And it's at least half the cost of most of the liberal arts colleges I'm familiar with. Maybe a third in many cases. By the way, you know, not everybody needs a four-year degree. You realize that? We've been convinced everybody needs a four-year degree. Everybody doesn't need a four-year degree. You can make good money in the trades. More people should learn the trades. And judging by many of the people that I deal with and that I hear of others dealing with when it comes to things like home remodel and plumbing work, if you go into the trades and you're good and you give good service, you're going to be busy all the time very good chance you'll be, have more business than you can handle. In short, from this point forward, you need to do whatever you have to to begin living within your means and avoiding taking on any more debt. So this is biblical guidance. And here's another bit of biblical advice. Don't secure debt for someone else. Did you know that was in the Bible? Don't secure debt for someone else. 35-year-old Johnny will just have to get his own loan for his car. I must just be striking way too close to home (laughs) with all of this stuff. Proverbs 11, 15. He who puts up security for another will surely suffer. But whoever refuses to strike hands in pledge is safe. And many of you are probably saying from experience, I know that that is absolutely true. I got burned bad. Don't go into debt on behalf of someone else. Don't secure money for someone who can't secure money on their own. Think about that deal. They already can't afford it because they need to finance it. They doubly can't afford it because not only do they need to finance it, but they can't get a bank to lend them any money. So they doubly can't afford it, and you come along and say, I'll help you get it. You can just pay me back. (laughs) All right. If you want to keep the money you earn, don't do that. Here's something you can say. I'll pray for you to be able to get what you need. (laughs) Proverbs 22, 26, and 27 Uh, reaffirms this. Do not be a man who strikes hands in pledge or puts up security for debts. If you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from under you. 
Buying on credit, something you can't afford, is setting you up to lose what you have. Securing debt for somebody else who can't really afford what they want is setting you up to lose what you have. You want to keep some of your money? Live within your means, even if it's difficult. Don't go into debt and don't secure debt for others. And you say and I say, this, this voice plays in my head. If I don't use debt, how am I going to get all the wonderful things that I want? Eventually, you can. Eventually. What's Dave Ramsey famous for saying? Choose to live like no one else today, which means live within your means because not many people are doing that, so that someday you can live like no one else which means that you actually have real money for the things that you want to buy. But see, that requires delayed gratification. And Americans hate that. I'll be honest with you, I hate that. I want the stuff I want. You do too. But we've got to realize that it's part of our sinful nature. We have to let God change that in us. If we ever want to truly have anything, we've got to do this. I know I'm kind of just beating this one a lot today, but you know, you just, you really don't want to function like the government does. The government has lots of nice stuff and they do lots of good things for people, but they don't truly own anything. You know, when you're $17 trillion in debt, you really don't have anything. And here's the third biblical counsel for keeping some of the money you earn. Proverbs 13, 11. Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers little by little makes it grow. Little by little. My father taught me this in my teen years, and he set me on a path to follow this biblical counsel. And I'm thankful he's not here today to hear this confession. (laughs) But my mom is, so he'll probably know. (laughs) From the time I got a job in high school and started earning any money of my own at all, he set me up with two investment accounts that each month I would place $50 into each one of those accounts. It didn't matter how much money I was earning, each and every month, $50 went into each account, a total of $100. I continued that through the early years of marriage, and by the time uh, Michelle and I were in our mid-20s, those accounts were pretty healthy accounts. I mean, at that age, I felt really good about what those accounts had grown to. But in my mid-20s, my brain fell out, and I... (laughs) I made some bad financial decisions. I got away from investing, and it took quite a while to get back, which was really crazy because I never missed that money. Never missed it. Figured out how to do without that $100. Now, the point is not my poor decision-making in my mid-20s. The point is that this principle works. If you want to keep some of the money that you earn, save little by little. Again, I never missed that money. It did not affect my life at all. 
But then when I got away from it, the thought of getting started again seemed like a huge mountain I had to climb. I think a lot of people think they need to wait until they earn a certain amount of money to be able to save something. Or wait until they have the cars and the house and the stuff they want before saving. But it's not true. Whatever your financial situation is, you can start saving little by little and watching it grow. Start somewhere. However small the amount is, start setting something aside little by little. It has to be intentional. It has to be consistent. Little by little means you keep at it. It's not the result of a financial windfall. It's the result of prioritizing, setting money aside so that down the road somewhere, your financial situation will become more secure and you and I are not one missed paycheck from financial calamity. So start now. Don't wait. Begin saving little by little. The Bible endorses this plan for keeping some of the money you earn. This is something that is pleasing to God. Well, today I violated one of the most important things that have to be considered when preaching, and that is that I've tried to fit too much into a single sermon. So, acknowledging that allows me to continue to go on. So, here we go. I can't believe that's the funniest thing I said today. That's... <laughs> so Proverbs eleven twenty four. One man gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. Here is great biblical financial advice. Be generous. Be generous. It's a bit counterintuitive, isn't it? But it is great financial advice. In 2 Corinthians 9, which I think is the, the high water mark of, of uh, teaching on financial giving in the New Testament, Paul teaches that people who are stingy, people who sow sparingly, reap sparingly. But people who are generous, who sow generously, they reap a generous harvest according to Paul. It's a biblical principle. Be stingy, end up with less. Be generous, you end up with a good harvest. It can apply to many things, but it absolutely applies to money. Proverbs 23, 4, and 5. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings And fly off to the sky like an eagle. Good biblical financial advice show restraint. Riches are elusive, so don't set your heart on them. Set your heart on doing good. Set your heart on providing for the needs of uh, yourself and your family. Set your heart on saving little by little, being responsible. But don't set your heart on becoming rich. It's, it's elusive. It's fleeting. It flies away. And by the way, you know that most people that end up rich actually didn't set out to become rich. They simply made good decisions day in and day out. And one day they look back and they say, wow, I'm in pretty good shape here. 
That's kind of the point of the book I referenced earlier, The Millionaire Next Door. Just make good decisions. Proverbs 12, 11. He who works his land will have abundant food, but he who chases fantasies lacks judgment. When it comes to earning and keeping money, you can't get much better advice than this. Avoid fantasy land. If something is too good to be true, it is too good to be true. That little thought has not failed me yet. If the promise is quick riches, run away from whatever the person is trying to get you to do. If it's a pyramid scheme, you're not going to make any money. Only the people above you will make money. So stay away from it. And don't be tricked by the person telling you it's a triangle, not a pyramid. (laughs) If the business is too complex to figure out, don't try. Just stay away from it. Avoid fantasy land. And finally, Proverbs 21.5 and 16.3. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. And commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed. Make plans for earning and keeping money. Dave Ramsey is famous for saying you have to tell your money where to go. Tell it where to go. And then commit those plans to the Lord. The Lord will walk with you and strengthen you and your plans will be fruitful. So, I'm sure there's more that could be added to this, but this is good, solid, biblical counsel on money. Work hard, acquire it honestly, live within your means and avoid debt, save little by little, be generous, show restraint, avoid fantasy land, and make plans and commit those plans to the Lord. Money is a test. So taking the Bible's counsel on how to earn it and how to keep it is a really wise thing to do. Why don't you stand?